Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are talking to guitarist Ruben DeFuentes. Now Ruben, back in the 70s, was a member of this really good but really short-lived band out of LA called the Hollywood Stars. They were created by Kim Fowley, remember, remember Kim Fowley from The Runaways? He started this band as sort of a West Coast answer to the New York Dolls. And the band only ever managed one album in 1977, self-titled. It's really good. It's kind of a collector's item among vinyl junkies and power pop collectors and those kinds of things. But that's really all she wrote for the Hollywood stars. Ruben went on to, get this, he went on in the 80s to play with like very late versions of bands like Steppenwolf and Blue Cheer. Imagine what playing with those bands would have been like in the 80s. That's what he was up to. Well, the Hollywood Stars has had a really long tail, and the band is actually sort of being rediscovered on a regular basis, and uh, they're back out there on tour right now. So, in fact, since putting out that first album in 1977, there have been a couple of reissues that have come out over the last few years. In 2013, this sort of lost album that they recorded in the early 70s called Shine Like a Radio was made available. And just a few months ago, another recording called Sound City of kind of songs they were working on that never got released, B-sides, outtakes, that kind of stuff, recorded at Sound City, hence the name, was released. In fact, you're listening to one of the songs off of that album right now. It's called Sunrise on Sunset. One other bit of trivia that you guys may appreciate, you know the song King of the Nighttime World by Kiss? That was originally done by these guys. And it's on that Shine Like a Radio album. So anyway, there's a lot of little bits of trivia going on here. Ruben has, man, that guy is a lifer. Wait till you listen. I mean, this is a guy, you want to know what a guy who's devoted his entire life to rock and roll sounds like? It's Ruben. Sound City is the new album. Ruben is the guitarist. Hollywood Stars is the band. Paul Underwood did the production. Ruben called me from his home in L.A. party line on the Hollywood stars, uh, you've heard it a million times, is that Kim Fowley, the great, I don't know what he is, a raconteur, a, a <laughs> rock and roll personality, whatever he is, he in the early 70s decides, I'm going to form a, a West Coast version of the New York Dolls. And he puts you guys together. Is that fair? Is that about what happened? Well, it, it's more like you, we were the West Coast answer to the New York Dolls, not version. Interesting. Now, how do you differentiate? That's a really interesting differentiation. What do you mean when you say that? Exactly what I mean by saying that is uh, we were the West Coast answer to the New York Dolls. We weren't trying to clone them or uh, copy them in any way. Okay. We actually... Uh, are not alike at all, really. No, not really. Um, but that was the intention, you know. Uh, well, we're, we're going to have a West Coast band, you know. Uh-huh. You know the, New York has their dolls. We're going to have our stars. Yeah. One thing I've always been curious about, and I've, I've read all these articles, and I don't know that I've ever seen the answer to this. Were you guys put together like the monkeys were put together? Were there auditions? Or were you guys an existing group that he found and wanted to sort of turn into this thing. How did you guys even come together? Well, yeah, he went out and uh, handpicked everybody. Okay. And he, like, he was like trolling the nightclubs <laughs> for uh, different members. And Terry Ray called me and said, would you like to come down and play with the Hollywood stars? I said, sure, I'll try it. I'll try it. And uh, I went down and uh, Kim had picked Mark Anthony, Scott Bears, a guy named Gary Van Dyke on bass, uh, Terry Ray on drums, of course, and, and me on guitar. Okay. So, see, we're all seasoned musicians from the 60s. 
Mm-hmm. Like I played with Terry Ray before in kind of different mm-hmm. band. Were you guys sort of the hottest guys on the scene at that time? And so that's what sort of made you, I don't know, rise to the top so that you would be most on his radar? You mean as individual players? You're yeah, you know, about? like, is there buzz around town? Well, no, he, was, he just searched through different people. I think he had Johnny Thunders in there for a day. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but he ended up with me. <laughs> I've never seen anybody like Kim Fowler in my life at that point. And, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I bet. But I was used to uh, eccentric people. Sure. He was a really funny guy, and uh, he talked me into being in the group because I didn't really want like it that much when I tried it out. But he talked me into it. L.A. was a much smaller town back then. Was there buzz around town that like Kim Fowley is trying to put together this band and who's he going to pick? Well, actually, Kim Fowley hyped the group before he even had it together, before he even had any members. Okay. And he, and he was saying this new group, the Hollywood Stars, you know, and he started to hype out ahead of time. So when we played our first gig at the Whiskey, it was packed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I joined the Hollywood Stars a month later. I was headlining the Whiskey Go-Go and it was packed. <laughs> and I was like, there was a lot of fun back then. <laughs> I bet. We recently did a show at the Whiskey, you know, and, mm-hmm. and like, we packed it again. That's amazing. Now, why didn't you want to be in this band? What What was your hang-up back then? I heard a few Mark Anthony songs, and I just thought it was, like, too poppy for me. Ah. Because I was, like, a hard rock guy. Okay. But the more I started playing with the Hollywood stars, the more I liked it. Did you grow up in Southern California, or are you one of these kids, like some hayseed that comes in from Oklahoma or something like that? No, I'm, I grew up here. Oh, you did? Okay. So you kind of knew the scene. You knew sort of what you were getting into. Well, yeah, my father was a musician, and he actually played a lot of the places that I played, but they were called different names back in the day. Uh-huh. Like the Starwood, it was called PJs, and, you know, it was like popular in the 50s, uh-huh. in the early 50s. You know, this is early 70s. I don't know how you, how old you are, probably in your early 20s or something. Who are you getting turned on to, you know? Who's really getting you excited musically that you're maybe trying, are you really into Johnny Thunders? And you're thinking, I don't know if you even know who Johnny Thunders is at that point, but are you thinking, I want to play like this guy? Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know who Johnny Thunders. I didn't know the whole scene. But when I got down to the strip and uh, went to Roddy's English Disco <laughs> and heard David Bowie's music, uh-huh. uh, you know, Ziggy Stardust, Spires from Mars, uh, The Sweet, T Rex, uh, Susie Quattro. Yeah, I just figured. Well, look. I mean, we've gone through this era prior to this. You know, with uh-huh. the singer-songwriter of the 70s, with Neil Young, uh, Carol King, uh, James Taylor, etc., Elton John, whatever. And uh, music got too fucking serious, man. I mean, it was just like, why is everybody getting so serious? So when the, the glam glitter era came, it was like a welcome relief, a breath of fresh air yeah. for me. Yeah. Because it was all fun. That's what the theme of the whole thing was, is having fun. Tell us a Kim Fowley story. I mean, why was the force of his personality so strong that he managed to carve a niche for himself? I mean, look, as great as you guys were, unfortunately, you didn't make it that huge of a splash. And the Runaways, as great as they are, are almost more known for who came out of the band than the impact of the band itself. So something about Kim created some this wave. How? Why? Well, he had a very strong personality, and he was like a Spengali kind of character. Mm. I mean, he spengali me, he spengali Joan Jett, he spengali a lot of people. I've seen eccentric people before. I mean, I, I partied with uh, Andy Warhol in, in Studio 54, and I've been around Frank Zappa. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been around eccentric people, and like he's like one of the top ten, you know? Yeah. He'll come up to you and go, You! Do <laughs> you want to be a rock star? <laughs> you know, are you sitting with your mouth open? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> That's great. You know, we got to talk about 
Alice Cooper and Escape and Kiss and King of the Nighttime World. I mean, these are these are huge songs that you that originated with your band that went on to be huge, but are not known for being your songs. Let's start with Alice. I think he even co-wrote that song. that pairing happen? Well, Bob Ezrin, the producer, we worked with him and one day in, in the studio and we were arranging the song Escape and it was our song. It was Mark Anthony's song, King Valley's song. The same goes for King of the Nighttime World with Kiss. What happened was after our first album, record company uh, shuffles and, and, and personnel changes, Mm-hmm. We got shelved. Our album didn't come out. So Kim went and, and hustled these songs that were on these album, this album that didn't come out. And he took it to Bob Ezrin, and Bob Ezrin took it to Alice. And Alice wanted to change the lyrics, so he gets his name added on to the songwriting credits. Right. Okay, I wondered. Because he changed the lyrics. I mean, he, he changed a few of the lyrics here and there and uh, mm-hmm. changed the story a little bit. But basically, it's the same track. The guitars are all the same. The music all the same. The melodies all the same. Mm-hmm. The hooks all the same. And Bob Desert also presented King of the Night Time World with the Kiss. putting their name on our songs, you know, uh, whatever. (laughs) Um, I imagine you've met those two. Have you had a chance to talk to either Alice or Paul? Actually, I just ran into Gene a couple weeks ago. Really? Yeah, I was uh, at uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at the movies. Yeah, I just saw that movie, yeah. I was standing there to get popcorn. And this girl's staring at me. She's in, in, in front of me. She turns around and starts staring at me, and I'm looking at her, and I'm going, oh, my God, it's Shannon Tweed. 
<laughs> then all of a sudden I look up to my right and Gene standing right next to me, like by my side in a little bit in back of me. No so way. I look up, I go, oh my God, <laughs> this is so tall. <laughs> right. He's a fucking giant. That guy's a giant, man. And uh, I said, uh, oh my God. Oh, hi, I'm uh, Ruben. Uh, I'm the lead guitar player of the Hollywood Stars. I shook his hand. And he said, the Hollywood Stars, I love that band. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then he took his popcorn and stuff and his wife and they went to go see the movie. But, um, that was it? Yeah, I just, I, I just... No, like, thank you for writing our song? Or? I know Gene from before. I knew him from uh, uh, one time my, my friend Nicky Free was doing a showcase at SIR and he showed up with Diana Ross in a Rolls Royce. I guess they were, that was his date. <laughs> right. <laughs> I met him there at that at, at Studio Instrument Rails. Then I met him one time. I was doing a celebrity race from Mickey Thompson's off-road celebrity race. And uh, he, him and uh, Shannon were there also, so I met him that time. But I used to go backstage to uh, the Kiss concerts back in the 70s mm. at the Forum Club. I was always like, uh, had a backstage pass mm-hmm. because of... Uh, Bill O'Coin, their manager, and Bob Esmond, the producer. And, uh, sure. So I got to see their shows and hang out back you know, under the Forum Club and party with them and stuff. Yeah. And Alice used to come backstage and hang out. And we got a pic- I got a picture of him with the Hollywood Stars and Bernie Toppin. No way. Yeah, it's on my website. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it. It's just a crowd of people and then Alice and Bernie Toppin standing there. It just seemed like everybody, you know, back in the day, wanted to hang around with the Hollywood stars. Like John Lennon came to see us play, you know? Yeah, I heard about that. And he applauded after every song, and I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) You know, that was the only time that I ever, like, had any kind of, like, you know, nervousness walking out on stage, because I have no stage fright at all. But that was the only time I was a bit nervous when they told me John Lennon was out there. That's crazy. You know, and he was it's at the Whiskey A Go, Whiskey A Go Go, which is so intimate. And he's in one of the booths there, like, you know, like right in front of you. Yeah. And, you know, and he's plotting after all your songs, and, and you're going, whoa, I can't believe this. And, you know, also, you know, so Alice Cooper, uh, uh, Harry Nielsen, all those guys, uh, they used to come see us Ringo. Yeah. Those were the days, you know? Well, yeah, that's when that, there's actual, you know, stars on the sunset strip <laughs> yeah now let me let me ask you this i mean we we touch on the business side of these things sensitively um i don't know for sure did you have a co-write on either of those songs no i didn't have a co-write that was mark anthony and kim fowley uh who created those okay so you never got to enjoy any kind of mailbox money from the success of those songs no i did not but it was fun, you know, it was fun listening to Alice Cooper and Kiss do our songs. And plus, we play them now, and everybody loves them. Yeah. It's not a bummer for me that Kiss and Alice Cooper did those songs. Because Kiss and Alice Cooper doing those songs that we got a second record deal with theirs to records. Absolutely. I wanted to say, for anyone who doesn't know, so the, the album you were talking about that got shelved is called Shine Like a Radio. And it finally came out last year. So that's available. The one Hollywood Stars album that came out in 1977 is kind of hard to find. You have to be like a, a vinyl crate digger to find that album, correct? Yeah, or you can find it online for like 25, 50 bucks or something like that. That one's great. What Clive did was he made it a cutout. And that's a cute little way uh, the record companies have of not, being, not paying royalties to the band. <laughs> Really? They ship twice as many records out and, and slash the price. Oh, and wow. uh, so they're still making tons of money, but it's but they don't have to pay royalties on a cutout. Yeah. And so well, they cut the edge of the, the album. Mm-hmm. And uh, that album actually did sell, but we, there's no record of it because it was a cutout. Actually, in, in 1979, I bought it for $25 at a collector's store in New York one time. No way. To me, All the Kids on the Street, which is maybe my favorite Hollywood Stars song, doesn't sound that different than Escape. All the kids on the street 
wondered if that was intentional. You know, if you guys are thinking, well, Alice took our song and made it something and that first album never came out. So maybe we'll just tweak it a little bit, call it all the kids on the street. And it's like we get to reuse it a little bit. It's not exactly like it. I mean, it no. has the same kind of chord changes, but yeah, like a signature riff kind of thing. Yeah. No, we, no, we didn't have any kind of intention like that. Okay. Okay. We just Mark Anthony wrote another new teen anthem, which all the kids on the street became, and yeah. uh, that's the way that was done. When the album does come out in '77, I mean, are you, I don't even know what was the single off that album. What did, were you hearing yourself on the radio? A little bit. Uh, this well, at first it was "Kids on the Street," and then they put "Stay the Way You Are" mm. out, and that was on the B side. But the FM people. The FM people like Sunrise on Sunset and the uh, um, All for Love. It's a never-ending road Along a lonely highway A race that never ends Until the end of time We do it all for love We do it all for love All for love We do it all for love For everything we own So how do you feel about that album? Because I've read, now I really like it. I've heard, and I don't know if this comes directly from you or what, that you guys felt like it was a little sappy. There are too many strings. Like I, I Stay the Way You Are, as pretty as that is, it's pretty sappy. records mm. where he wanted all this, this this kind of sound like all his acts to sound a certain way mm-hmm. and uh you know let's, let's remember here that he's the guy to put out barry Mallow. right, <laughs> right. and so <laughs> right. you know and so this is what we're dealing with you know yeah. we're dealing with the guy whose number one act his favorite guy is barry Manilow. <laughs> right. but he also had the kinks yeah. And he had the Bay City Rollers, uh, which I played on their album. Yeah, you did. And uh, he, he, well, that's another, that's their story, man. His story's horrifying what he did to them, but. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, but half the, the songs on the Airstate album have like syrupy string arrangements. That's what I thought at the time, and I was all like really upset about it at the time. Mm hmm.
and listening to it nowadays, I'm going, you know, actually, some of it sounds really beautiful to me. Yeah. It was made in the 70s, and, you know, what I was listening to at that that time period was, like, Boston. I wanted guitars only, you know, like, upfront guitars like Boston. Yeah. And uh, I put the album on, and Harry Maslin, who produced it, he also produced, uh, he worked with uh, uh, David Bowie, Station to Station, I believe, or Young Americans or something Love like that. It. Yeah. He wasn't my favorite producer to work with, but he did a good job, I think. Good. Okay. It is what it is, and uh, they took songs off the album and put it on television for like commercials and, and movie soundtracks and stuff. Interesting. The version of like all the kids on the street I like a lot better is on the Sound City album. I was going to ask you about that. One of the reasons we're talking is because a new album called Sound City has just been released. All the kids on the street know the song when they hear the beat. Everyone who gets wise knows the truth, children from the lies. All the kids on the street sing the same sweet Hey gang, let me break in here for a minute again. Uh, first of all, I want to give you a chance to listen to a little bit more of the Sound City version of All the Kids on the Street. I think you probably heard the original version already from the 1977 album. That one's a little slicker, has more strings on it. This is the Sound City version. Judge for yourself. See which one you like better. Now, I want to kind of read some more reviews. I'm trying to kind of play catch up here. I want to go back and read some of the Facebook reviews we've received. It's been so long since I read Facebook reviews. These ones have been around for a few months, but I don't think I've ever read them. Derek Johnson. No, Derek. He's the guy who hooked us up with Darren Hill recently. Derek says... All the guests are super interesting, and John finds questions that they've never been asked before, and you can tell that they love that. <laughs> I love that review. Thank you, Derek. That is great. Andy Bolton, he's another friend of the show. An essential listen for any serious music fan. A wide selection of great guests, so something for everyone. Keep up the excellent work. Listener Greg Horn also recommends the podcast. Fantastic stories about all those lesser-known musicians I, too, always wondered what happened to. By the way, John, I have a suggestion, too. What about Earl Slick or one of the other guys from Silver Condor? You could take my heart away. It's such a fantastic early 80s radio hit. I'd love to hear this obscure band story. So, Earl Slick, I tried to get Earl a few times early on. It's been a while. Remember when I did uh, Robin Clark from Simple Minds, who's married to Carlos Alomar, David Bowie's former guitarist, and this was shortly after David died. I reached out to Mike Garson. I reached out to Niall Rogers, and I think one or two others, including Earl, to see how many kind of Bowie-related episodes I could string together, but I didn't get very far with any of them. I should try again. It's been a while. Earl, has his name has come up several times with other guests, like Lee Rocker from the Stray Cats talked about Earl. Kevin Russell from 707 mentioned Earl. So anyway, I should do that by now. I don't even know what Silver Condor is. Is that an Earl Slick band? Good stuff there, Greg. I will look into it. Let me read one more. This one's a little bit longer. Michael Douglas Wright. I stumbled upon this cool podcast, which has some fantastic interviews with some 70s through 80s music artists, including some sadly forgotten ones that now have cult followings. They have some brilliant, deep interviews that straight away make you feel like you're in the room with these conversations. Amazing stuff. Keep them coming, especially with some AOR artists. Good. We've had a lot of those. Loving this podcast, guys. Mike from Tassie, Australia. Goodness. It's just so crazy to me that there are people in Australia listening to this. 
So thanks everybody for your uh, kind words and the reviews and the recommends and all that kind of stuff. It really helps. And it especially when my tank is kind of low, like it has been lately, it gets a little more refueled. So anyway, let's get back to Ruben. I don't remember the chronology here. Was that recorded before the Hollywood Stars album? Yes, that was uh, recorded before the 1977 Aristotle. Okay. And it was the album Neil Merriweather produced. It was the album that we were going to put out. We had recorded it at Sound City Studios. I don't know if you saw the David Gross movie special on it. Yeah, sure did. I grew up in that place. Really? I've had like four or five different albums and, and acts and deals that I've been in there with. And, uh, and uh, it, was, it was a shame to see it go. But anyway, we were going to do that album, and Clyde Davis said, no, I want to re-record a new album, a more popular album. See, Clyde doesn't really know what, he, what to do with hard rock. Yeah. Clyde said no, and he paid off Joe Godfrey at Sound City and Neil Merriweather. We recorded the Arista album a year later at Cherokee Studios. Oh, okay. On Fairfax. Cherokee is a good studio. Uh, David Bowie was in there. And, wow. Uh, I was going to ask you, when you were at Sound City, I mean, that you're right, that documentary sort of made that, turned that place into hallowed ground. Who else was at Sound City while you were recording that album? They told me that Leland Mack was in the house. Uh-huh. And I got all excited because I thought it was Peter Green. Uh, and, you know, the original Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. I thought it was the original group, the blues group. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't, you know, like the songs, Oh Well, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Danny Curran. And so I was like looking for those guys. And there was this girl there. And I thought it was a groupie. Mm. <laughs> and... Uh, must be Stevie. You know, so I'm talking to her, and she wanted something from me. I'm not going to say what it was. Oh, uh, really? Okay. She wanted to know if I had something, and uh-huh. I said, you know. But I thought she was a groupie, and I was, like, partying with her. And then afterwards, uh, after she she split, I go, well, who is that chick? She goes, that's the new singer of Fleetwood Mac. I go, you're kidding me. They got girls in the band? And I didn't know anything about it, but, uh, yeah, so that's the other act that was recording there. I ran into her, to, uh, I ran into her again in, like, 1980 in the same studio. Mm-hmm. And she had gained a bunch of weight at that time, and uh, I wasn't very interested in her. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now, uh, you can answer this or not. Uh, you know, she has a lot of rock star boyfriends when you say party with her was it just doing the thing that she asked you about right then and there or did you guys go out or did you do you have carnal knowledge of stevie nicks no i'm not gonna get into that but okay uh, okay okay uh, uh, a lot of uh, people i've had on here do and that's why i asked she wanted something uh illegal from me got it no i get it i get that, it that was okay. how the conversation started yep i get yeah. it and uh to tell you the truth, I did start getting cozy with her. Oh, okay. And then the, the uh, engineer says, "Oh, uh, sir, we got to do a session. We got to ask oh. you to leave." And uh, I said, "Okay, don't come in Studio A, then." And uh, <laughs> I was all fucked up and stoned and shit. Right, and, uh, right. <laughs> I thought the fucking girl was a groupie, man. You know, you know what do you expect of? I get it, man. You You're know? a rock star. I understand. <laughs> uh, I take it Lindsay wasn't watching too closely, or maybe he 
Maybe he didn't care if Stevie was, you know, cozying up to a guy as long as she could come away with a little something, something for the rest of the guys. Lindsay, Lindsay wasn't there. Okay. But, but she was there playing piano and singing. Got it. Okay. okay. And, uh, in studio, in studio B. Okay. And, uh, but she had come in Studio A and you know started asking me some stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that so that's my story with her. Okay, okay, that's a good one. I, <laughs> I like that. Um, I've had a few people on here who have told Stevie stories, so I, nothing you're saying is a surprise. So let's. Uh, okay, so the album comes out and it's the one and only Hollywood Stars album. Why did you guys implode yourselves? Did you get dropped? Why did this not carry on further? Clive Davis decided not to promote the group. So no other label stepped up to sign you guys? That was it? You broke up? I don't know if you kept trying or what? At that point, Mark Anthony decided he was going to go solo and people got discouraged. And you know, and I'm telling him, no, 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 don't break up. Another year, we can get another record deal on it. Yeah. And it didn't happen. One of the things I find really interesting are the transitions in Rockstar's lives, where it goes from nothing to something, and then sometimes back down to nothing. Sometimes, uh, now I know you carried on as a professional musician. We'll talk about this playing with Blue Cheer and uh, Steppenwolf and stuff like that. Were you were you depressed? Were you heartbroken that this band ended, or did you just think, well, that's just one more thing. I'm going to go find my next thing. Not a big deal. Well, yeah, I was naturally I was bummed out for like a year. Okay, and then I go, well, what's what's next? Yeah. And, you know, for what next for me after the Hollywood stars, it was Nick St. Nicholas uh, from Steppenwolf asked me to go on the road with him. Yeah. And that was really fucking heavy, man. That was like playing Altamont every night. I was like, you're talking outlaws, Hessians, yeah. uh, Hell's Angels, uh, whatever. I mean, whatever biker groups in town there. Yeah. That's your sec- that's your security for the night. Uh-huh. And, um, <laughs> and I'm like this little glitter guy, you know, from Hollywood. Uh-huh. And uh, I had to, I kind of had to shape up pretty fast. You know, I, I had bet. To, like, change my image. I had to put leather pants on and uh, you know, leather jackets and Harley Davidson t-shirts and that version of Steppenwolf with Nick St. Nicholas. Uh-huh. Uh huh. If you want to hear the Steppenwolf story, I'll tell you. I mean, I, I thought we were going to do the Hollywood Stars. So. Yeah, please tell me. No, I want to hear it. Uh, John Kay was going solo. He was John Kay and wanted nothing to do with the name Steppenwolf. But he owned the name along with a lawyer named Stan Diamond. And so these guys leased oh. the name out so Nick could take a band out. Because uh, Steppenwolf was out of print and off the radio. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and they weren't even playing Magic Carpet Ride or Born to Be Wild anymore on the radio. And so I went out with Nick, and we went on tour for a couple of years and played every goddamn town in this country, <laughs> practically, and, you know, all through the South, all through the Midwest, all through everywhere. Yeah. And uh, we built the name up really good again, and all of a sudden they put Steppenwolf back, you know, on the radio. Mm. and started re-releasing, you know, uh, reissuing the records. Yeah. Because all the touring that we did. And then when that when uh, that happened, John Kay wanted the name back. And there was a court battle, and then uh, uh, that version of Steppenwolf was no more after that. Huh. But, you know, we played like uh, Peter Frampton. Mm-hmm. You know, we blew fucking Phantom off the fucking stage. Wow. Those people in in Springfield, Illinois, man, they wanted to fucking hear, you know, hard rock and metal. That's right. They didn't want to hear Peter, you know, and uh, we fucking blew him off the stage. And he got really pissed that night and punched his roadie in the face in the hotel room and shit. Really? But, uh, yeah, for smoking pot out, out in the hallway. No way. He was all pissed off. So anyway, John Kay took the name back. And now he's he's been doing all these years, but he's never he's haven't done anything new. Yeah, as far as I know, they made anything. When I played with it, I kind of beefed it up and made oh. it like more metal. And the only uh, hard rock metal groups that were playing in America at that time were us, ACDC, and Judas Priest. 
Mm. Everything else was like punk rock in 1979. Interesting. You know, it was it was hardcore shit, man. Sure. I used to see people getting hurt in those in the audience all the time. And stuff. I believe it. And then I think from Steppenwolf, did you go on to Blue Cheer? I was in Blue Cheer in 1975, between oh. the Sound Like a Radio album and the, the Sound City album. Sound Like a Radio was 74, Blue Cheer was 75, Sound City was 76, mm. and Aerosmith was 77. Okay. Kim Fowley and Nick St. Nicholas from Steppenwolf were going to... Uh, revamp blue chair and so they asked me to be the lead guitar player mm. and uh some of the songs that we did ended up on the runaways album like american nights really yeah that was a blue chair song huh and kim left my name off the credits because i wrote the music for that oh way. that's what he did I, uh. I wrote the music for american nights and i also wrote the music for i like playing with fire by the runaways yeah Really? And there again, yeah, well, the Runaways and Joan Jett had tried to uh, not give Mark Anthony credit. And he had to take him to court. And then they had to give him credit. And, and it was a big mess. And, and so I couldn't be added because it was a big mess. And uh, that song's in the Runaways movie, uh, yeah. I Like Playing Fire. Yeah. And so when I, heard, when I saw that movie, I kind of got pissed off. You know, but I never got the credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like really awesome to be playing with Dickie Peterson from Blue Chair mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and to be playing their stuff. I felt like, whoa, these guys have invented heavy metal. Yeah. I mean, actually, they did invent heavy metal. They were before Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Basically, Black Sabbath gets most of the heavy metal credit. Yeah. But Blue Cheer is actually the the prototype metal band. Agreed. And they were sponsored by the Hells Angels. Man, you really found your niche there with the biker gangs and the toughies and the leather dudes. Oh my God. And uh, then in 19, around 1987, I rounded up Dickie and he moved into my house and we did Blue Cheer again. No way. <laughs> what kind of crowds are you playing to? Well, just like like mainly hippies that you know uh holdover hippies from the 60s yeah that's what i'm wondering you know grateful dead type of people okay uh, everybody's on acid and this and that and uh <laughs> smoking this and that and uh and bikers yeah because neither of those bands at that time were you know in their prime i mean the 80s were kind to those kinds of bands you know so i'm wondering what it's like well, no, well, the thing is, when hair, hair metal came out, well, okay, you know, I figured when hair metal came out in the '80s, I figured, well, man, I'm playing with the original fucking metal guy. True, true, yeah. I ran on the band back up and just start doing it again. Yeah, had Dickie moving to my house and everything. That's wild. Blue Cheer is a fucking badass band, man. They were, yeah. weren't taking any prisoners. I believe it. And that first album they did, man, they fucking, you know. They, they blew up the fucking recording console. Whatever fucking television studio they played at, they blew up the fucking uh, sound console. Let me ask you, your website gives some love for Meatloaf. How does he factor into this, into your story? Well, in 1966, me and my buddies, we had a band called The Winding Roads. Hmm. You know, little kids, 13, 14 years old. And we're hitchhiking down Sunset Strip. And this guy pulls over to pick us up in a yellow Impala. And he's got a big yellow Nehru jacket on the match, the Impala. <laughs> and he goes, hi, my name's M.L. I come to Hollywood to become a movie star. <laughs> so 
so we're like rolling our eyes each other, like going, yeah, it was, you know, who the fuck is this guy? You know, like, yeah, right. You know, right. And he says, I'm a singer. Well, we're a band. We need a singer. You like to come sing with our band? And he goes, yeah. And so we had our band set equipment set up. We didn't have a PA system or a microphone, but we started playing jailhouse rock with a uh, meatloaf. And he fucking, uh, you could hear him sing over the band with no microphone. Wow. And we're going, whoa, this guy's fucking out of sight, man. He was sleeping on my couch, and uh, I eventually couldn't go back east with him to tour mm -hmm. because I was only uh, 14 years old. My parents wouldn't let me. And, uh, oh, boy. That was a real disappointment. That was a real fucking disappointment in my big fucking life, man. You know, yeah. I mean, I could have, like, started off a lot earlier you know six years earlier seven years earlier than i did that's wild i haven't seen him since the 80s hmm. meatloaf is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in your life treats his his crew and his musicians great and he's like a big brother to me what's the plan for the stars now i mean uh I think you mentioned working on a new album. Is the stars are, are they? Is there enough going on that that's your full time job, or is that still sort of something that comes up occasionally? How does it work? I'm really not at liberty to, to tell you how the Hollywood stars works, hmm. but we got some uh, serious financial backing. Oh, nice! So uh, that's why we're we're even doing it at all. Great, you deserve it, Ruben. That's amazing. Good for you, man. Who knew? 42 years later. <laughs> well, the thing is, I expect to get a big, big amount of money for this new album. Really? I just feel it in my gut uh -huh. that this album is going to be huge and uh, somehow it's going to be like a hit. Yeah. And so that's what I'm working on. And we're gathering up songs like the monkeys. Our songwriter died. Yeah. I mean, we all write songs. We all have credits on albums and stuff. But we gather up the best songs we can possibly find, whether we write them or not. You know, you'll get from other songwriters or whatever. We're gonna, get, you know, we're gonna put an album together that's gonna be like really spectacular. Yeah. I think it'd be cool if you could get Alice or Paul or Gene to come play a little bit on the album, just a little something, you know. Or Stevie, for that matter. Uh, <laughs> Have Stevie Nicks come on. She probably don't remember who I am or anything. But, right. uh, <laughs> uh, I got my own characters that I, you know, yeah. that I can get on there. And uh, I know a lot of people in Hollywood. Good. <laughs> I grew up in the fucking place. Yeah. One of my listeners is writing a book on Cheap Trick. And they asked specifically if you were at, I guess, a famous Cheap Trick concert at the Starwood in 1975. No, but I opened for Cheap Trick in the 80s, hmm. like early 80s, at the, at the San Diego Stadium. It was my band. Uh, it was called Susan Lynch Band. And it was our band. It was Chuck Berry. <laughs> it was Joan Jett. And Cheap Trick. No way. <laughs> and that's when I met Cheap Trick. And this band that I was in, uh, Susan Lynch, was produced by Terry Melcher, mm -hmm. Doris Day's son, who's the part of the story in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. When they go, oh, we're going to go up to Terry's house and cause trouble. Remember that part? Uh-huh. <laughs> they're, they're actually going to try to get... Terry Melcher and Dennis Wilson, and oh, wow. uh, they weren't there. They had moved yeah. out, and they had rented the, they rented the house to Sharon Tate and uh, Roman Polanski. So anyway, uh, he Terry Melcher, he's son of Doris Day. He produced Mr. Tambourine Man, all mm -hmm. the bird stuff. Mm -hmm. He produced uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders, and he produced this album. I did, and the executive producer was Bruce Johnson from the Beach Boys. No way. It was on Bruce Johnson's record label, Johnson Records, uh, distributed by CBS. And we recorded it at uh, Mike Love's Love Foundation in Goleta, California. Wow. I could tell you, I could go on for hours. Here I believe tonight, it. So. I believe it. Well, look, in closing, I want to know, the Hollywood stars open for so many bands like 
the Kinks and the Ramones and Iggy Pop, Van Halen, Journey. What I mean, you've been in Hollywood. No, Journey opened for the Hollywood oh, Stars. No way. Do you, do you have a story about that? The Hollywood Stars at the Whiskey and the opening act was going to be a band called Journey, mm-hmm. which is a new act. And it had Greg Rowley and Neil Schoen from Santana in it, and Ainsley Dunbar on drums from Frank Zappa and David Bowie and stuff. Right. And I went into uh, Neil Schoen's dressing room from uh, Journey mm-hmm. and uh, talked with him for a while and played his 1960s Les Paul, Sunburst Les Paul, which was worth a fortune nowadays. Mm. Then Eddie Van Halen came there. Oh. It was me, Eddie, and uh, Neil Schoen were all like playing Neil's guitar, uh, you know, trying out his guitar. And I couldn't believe that these guys were opening for the Hollywood Stars. Because mm-hmm. like these guys were like my idols from Santana, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh man. And my friend Steve DeLacy had a band called Speed Limit with Steve Perry on vocals, mm-hmm. and this is pre-Journey band. So Steve Perry came and uh, to the show and everything, and he sent his demo tape. The, this band Speed Limit had it was supposed to be their album, but the bass player got killed in a car accident, mm. and so the band disbanded. And so Steve Perry sent his demo tape to Journey with my friend playing guitar on it, and that's how he got the gig with Journey mm-hmm. uh, because the Journey opened up for the Hollywood Stars. I mean, that's like the take I got on it. Yeah. Yeah. What's the Van Halen story that you don't want to tell me? <laughs> well, because Eddie's going to throw a fit if I tell it. Oh, really? If you hook me up with a guitar player magazine or something like that, I might tell that story. <laughs> but the thing is, Eddie's so fucking big right now that uh, I don't want to piss him off. Yeah. Okay. But he's a friend of mine. Okay. Uh, he's a freak. Yeah. Oh, I believe <laughs> Lee Roth, that's the nicest. That's the fucking nicest guy you'll ever meet in your life. Uh Really? It's just, uh, it's just, it's just Eddie's just a, you know, yeah. ding dong. <laughs> That's what I hear. But his guitar playing, man, is just like superb. Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, well, look, tell me, you know, let's close this out with one, one more story. Tell me just this, whatever you can say, tell me something that you can't believe. One of the, it could be anything. I'm not talking about something salacious necessarily. I just mean one of your favorite rock stories from your long, long career. I went to Las Vegas to an international hotel and saw Elvis when he was in his prime. He wasn't fat or nothing or anything like that. He was wow. like in his prime. Elvis came out and he was like the biggest rock god I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's my big Elvis story. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him in the international. How many people can say... They saw him at the International Hotel in Las Vegas. Not many. In his prime. Yeah. Not too many people, man. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, man. You want to talk about a fucking rock star, dude. Yeah. That guy. You know. <laughs> wow. He was my idol when I was a little kid. You yeah. know, I was like nine years old. He was my idol. Yeah. And to see him, you know, in person, in so fucking great, in uh-huh. so many great songs in a row. They had the, the PA up where you could feel Elvis' voice vibrate on your table. You put your hand on the table, uh-huh. you could hear his voice vibrate. <laughs> man. Wow. What a fucking show that yeah. was. Man. Yeah. I'll tell you, that was a show of shows. That's one of my favorite rock stories. Uh, yeah. Well, look, uh, Ruben, thanks for talking with me, man. I discovered the Hollywood stars on YouTube about... Mm, seven or eight years ago I was looking for something else some other song and uh, that was kind of difficult to find and whoever posted the song that I was looking for that was hard to find had posted other sort of obscure power pop from the era and uh, so I went scrolling around and I found your band and I was like "What? what is this? This is so good my antenna has been up for the Hollywood stars ever since and I love these new releases. It's I'm so glad people are getting to hear you guys in all your glory. Yeah, if you look on my Facebook page, you'll see all these reviews that I have, the recent reviews of the Sound City album. And I'm telling you, our first review we got was really, really bad because the guy hated Kim Fowley and everything. Mm. And he called our music Chinny Chap. 
cartoon or some kind of like English thing. Okay. <laughs> I go, this is great, man. This is fucking great. This guy's, uh, this is a hostile review. It's going to have the reverse effect. And then all of a sudden, 20, 30 reviews. I don't know how many reviews we got after that. They're all great. There you have it, Ruben De Fuentes. Now, he mentioned there at the end that Sound City was getting good reviews, and I wanted to follow up on that because if you go to allmusic.com, the review for Sound City is written by former guest Mark Deming. Isn't that interesting when these worlds collide like that? Just a little bit of what he wrote in here, speaking of Sound City. Another reminder of just how badly Arista dropped the ball when they put too much polish on this band. It's true. That Hollywood Stars album from 77 is good, but it's not the perfect kind of example or documentation of what this band was all about. So pick up Sound City if you can, and I want to close it out with another song from that album. This is Make It to the Party. Ruben co-wrote this one, by the way. So many interesting stories. Ruben, what a guy. Now, a huge thanks, as I mentioned, to Paul Underwood. This is a pup. This is a Paul Underwood production. So thank you, Paul, for everything that you do. Next week, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to go with, but I think it's going to be the front man of a band that had one of the biggest one-hit wonders ever. Certainly of the 90s. You'll know the song. Everyone knows this song. So anyway, that's, I think, who we're going to be talking to next week. By now, I think you know how to do this. Get on Facebook, like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email, thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, at thehustlepod. We put out new episodes every Tuesday. So if this is your first time listening, go into the archive, see if there are other bands you like. Guaranteed you're going to find something that will be of interest to you, okay? Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you soon. I know she's there. Would you get up, please? Don't follow me with your insanities. You know I'm much too wise.